Thank you for downloading the latest podcast from Reconnection Youth, a ministry of Faith Christian Fellowship Church in Buffalo, West Virginia. For more information, visit us on the web at reconnectionyouth.com. If you have your Bibles, go to um, where? <laughs> go to Psalm chapter one, real quick. Psalm chapter one, verse one. Blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat or stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word that brings life. Lord Jesus, I just ask you right now just to enter this room, Lord God. Holy Spirit, just move upon your your students, your, your, your people, God, that the words that come out of my mouth will be your words, Lord Jesus, that I'll be out of the way. I would just be a vessel, Lord God, to, to give your message to your children today, God. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you for each and every person that's here, this, this youth ministry, God, that's growing, this youth ministry, Lord God, that's learning and catching vision, this youth ministry that's beginning to hear your voice and, and respond to it, God. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're changing hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I share this scripture. This was the scripture that we, we really hit on, gosh, like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whenever I first started talking about growth. Um... And it says here that there's the blessed, blessed is a man, and, and there were three things that, about this man uh, that he did not do that positioned him to be blessed because of what somebody else did for him, okay? It says, this man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, means he doesn't ask the wrong people for advice. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners, that means he's not congregated with a bunch of folks doing the wrong thing. And number three, he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. So he doesn't sit in the peanut gallery looking down upon people, casting uh, his judgment upon them based because they don't look the way he looks or act the way he acts, okay? But this guy has delight in God's Word. And in that Word, he meditates day and night. And so because he loves the law, because he loves the Word of God so much, this man's going to be like a tree that has been uprooted from one location, and has been transplanted into another location directly beside rivers of living water. And Adam spoke about this last weekend, okay? If you weren't here with us, go to SoundCloud, go to iTunes, download every single message is on those things from last weekend, okay? You can check those things out. But if the tree gets placed by the rivers of water and the tree wants to grow, it's got to get its roots into the water, there's no other way to grow unless a tree gets its roots in the water, right? So it's been transplanted next to a source of living water that it can then grow from and begin to produce its own fruit based off of. Now that's not really what my entire message is about, but I need you to get that kind of into you. 
that that's your goal. God took you out of the miry clay. He took you out of the bad situation, uprooted you, and planted you. When you get born again, you become planted or transplanted next to rivers of living water. God didn't throw you into the river. Because if he threw you into the river, then you would have no control over whether or not you receive from the river. God's not somebody that's going to force his will upon you. He wants you to receive from the river. But he's not going to make you receive from the river. So what he'll do is he'll put you in a position, give you the ability to do this, but then it's up to you to receive. Do you want to continue to be a stick for the rest of your life, or do you want to begin to produce fruit? I don't know about you, but if I planted apple trees in my yard, I think I would like to eat an apple at some point. I didn't plant the apple trees so I could just look out and say, look at my apple trees. Look at the trees, look at the trees, look at the trees. No, I want to plant an apple tree because eventually I want to receive a harvest from the apple tree. Right? Okay. So understanding that, we're in a season right now where we're calling out for revival. We're in a season. We go to Maranatha. What are they calling out for? Revival. You go to the place in Kentucky, what are they calling for? Revival. You get the circuit riders together, and they're going from place to place to place in the Appalachian Mountains, and all they're crying for is revival. You go to Fusion, and what are they crying for? Revival. Everybody wants revival. Everybody. Because what, see, see, here's the deal. It seems as though we're in a place that's dry. This valley has been deemed the most miserable place on the entire United States to live. There's an article out there, came out a couple months ago, that said between, it said Huntington was the number one most miserable place to live and Charleston was number two in the entire country. Huntington, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia. This valley has been deemed by the world to be dry. You understand? But see, there's a, there's a story in the Bible that I want to share with you about a man named Elijah. And Elijah the prophet, I want you to go, go with me to James chapter 5. I might actually start preaching the message today at some point. This is good. I got any shouters? Who, who, would, who honestly would, I think I might shout today. Like, I could do it. It's, it is possible for me to shout. Anybody, like, it's possible to do? I got one. Okay, I got one that might, might possibly shout. All right. So, let's read this. James chapter 5. <laughs> I'm just going to read a bunch. Uh, chapter, or, chapter 5, verse 7. Look what it says. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. 
You have heard that the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Now look here, verse 13, he takes a little shift. He's talking about harvest. What's he talking about at the beginning? He's talking about how a farmer, if he wants to have a harvest, has got to be patient. Because there's going to come a time when the former rain, the stuff you used, you're used to, and the latter rain, the stuff that's kind of new, are both coming at the same time. Okay? And then he starts taking a shift because he's talking about farming. He's talking about being a man of, and a woman of integrity. And then, in verse 13, look what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he stops once again. Now, you've got to read your Bible and don't just read it to read it, but read it. Because... As soon as he starts, he talks about a harvest. He talks about being a person of integrity. He begins to talk about how people can receive healing. And then it's almost as if the Lord brings to his remembrance the story of a man named Elijah. It's almost like the things he was speaking about must somehow be tied to Elijah. Because as they came out of his mouth or out of his pen, he stops and he goes, whoa, hold on. Remember Elijah. Well, what do we know about Elijah? I know that Elijah was a man who spoke, and this is what he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like yours, like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what was the very first verse that I read? Go to verse 7. What was the very first, the, the whole thing was about to start with? What's it say? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives what? Early and latter rain. You got to be like a farmer waiting patiently for the rain. Remember Elijah, that for three years and six months there was no rain. For three years and six months the entire land of Israel went with no rain. You talk about dry. They lived in an area of dryness. They lived in a time of dry. There was no rain. There was no fruit 
there was no harvest. But as a farmer waits patiently, so shall you wait patiently. But yet your, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be somebody of integrity. As you're waiting for the harvest, as you're waiting for the, the, the fruit to come, as you're waiting for the latter and the former rain to come, you better be somebody of integrity and be somebody that will pray because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Take Elijah, for example. He prayed three years and six months, no rain. But check out the last verse that I read. This is the shouting part right here. If, this, if you ain't shouted yet, this is the shouting part. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Whoa, 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 whoa. If I got a dry field with nothing in it and it rains, does any fruit get produced? How much fruit's coming off the outfield of the baseball field at Polka High School right now? None. But we've had nothing but rain for like a week and a half. But there's no fruit. Why? Nothing, nobody planted anything. Hold on. Hold on. For three years and six months, it never rained. Yet somebody got up every day. Somebody got the plow out. Somebody started tilling the ground. Somebody started putting fruit in the ground. Or putting seed in the ground. Because even though it didn't rain yesterday, and even though it didn't rain last week, and even though it didn't rain a month ago, even though it didn't rain a year ago, even though it has been three years and six months since anybody's seen a drop, as soon as the rain comes, I'm getting a harvest. That's your time to shout right there. Tissues. So listen. Get that. Get that. People crying for revival. Who's tilling the ground? Am I crying for revival from my, from my couch, looking out the window, God send rain? God, as soon as you send rain, I'll get out there and till. No. When the rain comes, you better have done the legwork. When the rain comes, when that former and latter rain that Joel speaks about, when it comes, you better be ready for the harvest. So what do we do? How do I get ready for this revival? How do I prepare to, to receive the, the fruit and the blessings that are coming from this thing? I've got to begin at my own personal level. Prayer meetings are awesome. When I can get with somebody who believes the same, when me and Amelia can get together and we can cut on each other and she can say, this is what I've been reading from God's Word and I can say, this is what I've been reading from God's Word and we get encouraged and then we start praying in tongues for two hours and the glory of the Lord falls in the room like it did last, last weekend. Hallelujah, that's amazing and that's awesome. But I've come to find out that revival will not come because we have encounters like we did last weekend. Revival will come when we have encounters like last weekend in our bedrooms throughout the week. 
if I can cultivate the presence of God on my own and I live in His presence daily, then when I get together with folks who are also living in His presence daily, that's when revival's coming. So for the next couple of minutes, and that took me a while to get to, but I, I think it was all right. I mean, I mean uh, that's okay. I want to go back and let's talk about how can I cultivate His presence in prayer? How can I cultivate the wonder of God in prayer? How can I start to till the grounds of revival in my own personal life? Look at Matthew chapter 6. These are your, uh, your key verses for the week. Matthew chapter 6. Up. Oh. It ain't cold anymore. Sorry. It's getting warm up here. I don't know about y'all. Matthew chapter 6. Let's read the model. But when you pray. No, sorry. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus says it like this. He says, when you pray. I taught before the, the five or six questions of prayer. Like, for example, who is supposed to pray? Well, the Bible, he just says, and you when you pray. So who's responsible to pray? You, me, we are responsible to pray, right? Jesus said, you pray. And then you have another question. Well, what am I supposed to pray? Well, let's think about it. What do he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we supposed to pray? His kingdom would come. On earth as it is in heaven. If there's sickness there, then it's okay to have sickness here. But my Bible does not say anything about sickness being there. Therefore, it has no right to be here. So we pray against sickness. That's why when somebody has a heart issue, we bring them before the church and we say no more heart issue. Because that's not going to be that way in heaven. Nobody's got issues with their hearts in heaven. Therefore, nobody should have issues with their hearts here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the what. Where are we supposed to pray? Look what he says here. I'm going really quick because this is not the message, but I need to get this part out to get to it. And you, when you pray, go into your room. Where am I supposed to pray? Somewhere where there's nobody else. Somewhere where it's me and him. 
somewhere where I can be alone in his presence without having to worry about an interruption of any kind. Some of us have a closet. Some of us have a bedroom. Some of us just have two kids hanging off of us and don't ever get that, but we try. <laughs> but, we, but we have a place. We have a place where we can go. Remember T.L. was talking about this not too long ago, that, that he loves the evenings because Stacy goes to bed so early, they put the kids to bed so early, and now he gets dad time, him and, him and God. Find a time, find a place. I know that sometimes it's hectic. I know that sometimes it's crazy, but there's got to be a time and a place where it's just you and him. The when, when do I pray? It says, but you, when you pray. That means all the time. Pray all the time. The Bible says in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. To be constantly in prayer. I'm going to talk more about what that means. Um, probably not today, but at some point. I'd like to do it today, but I don't know how we'll get there. But pray all the time. And I'll talk about this, but pray breath prayers. I mean, how many of you... Oh, thank you, Lord. I, you don't think much of that. Jesus. I say the name Jesus all the time. I mean, I just say Jesus. That's prayer. I'm speaking, I mean, if, in fact, I'll be honest with you. I'd much rather say Jesus once than speak a thousand of my own words that mean absolutely nothing. Because I can, I can formulate a bunch of words. I could write you a nice little poem or a nice little word. I mean, I can grammatically, I'm pretty good at grammar. Now, you probably couldn't tell by the way I speak, but in terms of writing, I can write you something that looks like a, a college professor wrote it. But at the name of Jesus, every name bows and every tongue confesses, not at the paper that I wrote. So my words mean nothing if the power of him is not behind them. So I pray all the time. Why should I pray? Because the Father who sees in secret will then turn around and reward you openly. Let me give you an example of this. Very, very simple example. At the beginning of this year, actually it, was on, it, was, it started in December, but the Lord had prompted me to fast and pray for some certain areas in my life. And as I began to pray for this youth ministry, for one, it was part of it, but there were specific things I had listed. God, this is what I'm fasting and believing for. This is what I'm praying for. And as I was doing that, in my secret place, not walking out and saying, hey, I'm fasting, hey, I'm fasting, hey, I'm fasting, hey, I'm fasting, I'm praying. I'm praying more than you. I'm fasting more than you. Can't you tell? I'm losing weight. I'm fasting. I wasn't doing that. I was doing it in secret. And then, all of a sudden, I come home one day from work, open a letter that says, congratulations, all of your student loans have been taken care of. You no longer owe any money on your student loans. That was not on the list. But my father, who saw in secret, rewarded me openly. Come on. We must be a people striving to be devotional reformers in our world. Listen, when you say revival or when you hear revival, there's a very good chance if you close your eyes and I said, I want you, or if we all closed our eyes right now, in fact, let's do that. Let's all close our eyes right now. 
I'm asking you to picture a church in revival with your eyes closed. What does a church in revival look like or sound like? All right, open them. Anybody, what's something you saw or you heard? Come on. Praise. Praise. What else? Dancing. Dancing. What else? What else? Prayer. Anything else? Organized chaos. Tents, like a like an old school tent revival out in the. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Every single thing that you guys said is an outward expression. The greatest, one of the greatest revivals of all time at Azusa Street in California started because three women were in a room praying for revival. And the guy to lead it knocked on their door and said, is this where they're praying for revival? Like he was literally sent by God. Are you praying for revival today? Because I'm here. We think revival, and I'm not saying those are wrong, because those are definitely expressions of what revival will be and what it looks like. But true revival has nothing to do with the manifestations that come from it. It's about the change in the devotional life of the people experiencing it. Listen, when somebody's got a needle in their arm and they get saved and they get filled with the Holy Ghost, it's not revival when they shout. It's revival because they don't have a needle in their arm and they're not doing drugs anymore. And they're going to heaven. So the next day, when they read their word, like they can't get enough of it, like they used to stick the needle in their arm because they couldn't get enough of that, that's what revival is. Now because they've received it, you better get out of their way and worship. Right? Because <laughs> the dancing and the shouting and everything's coming with it. But that's not revival. That's what revival, that's the, 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 the direct results of Revival. God wants devotional reform in this country. Devotional reform. Your parents probably talk about, you know, economics and all oh, this country's going to, you know, who knows where with this economic. We need reform in this thing. These policies are terrible and, and they're making me pay for my gun. I can't believe they're not making them pay more for their guns. I mean, there's all this stuff that's combating, right? And we need this kind of reform. We need welfare reform. We need this kind of reform. We need this kind of reform. No, we need people who stop saying they pray that will start praying. I don't want somebody to stand up, Reverend, Dr., blah, 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 who says you need to change your politics. I want Reverend, Dr., blah, 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 to get up front and somebody and say we need to call a, a fasting time. We need to call some prayer. We need to get this thing changed in the hearts before it will ever get changed out there in the streets. This is better than it is on the paper. And it's better than it is than y'all are shouting it down. I'll tell you that right now. 
This is one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear again. I'm going to listen to this one. I listen to them all anyway. Critique. All right, listen. Um, so there's this book, okay? We must be a people. I want you to have this thought in your mind. We must be a people striving to be devotional reformers in our world, okay? Now, this book is called Making Lightning by a man named Matt Petrie. It's nuts. It's absolutely insane, the level of devotion, personal devotion, that this man walks in. And I'm going to read a, a, an excerpt of this from, uh, for, for you, talking about devotional reform. This is what he says. The devotional reformer today is like a man walking through our times on a narrow country road at midnight dependently moving forward with what light he has. So it's not somebody that can see the full picture. It's the person who has enough light to take the next step. And so they take the step dependent, believing that the, that the moon will then produce the light for the next one. Others would grope about in darkness, but he is caught up in the splendor of the stars above. The wonder of morning keeps him excited. Put him in the wilderness and he turns it to wonder. Surround him with darkness and he will see the testimony of God's creation in the moon and shooting stars. Turn him over to the elements of a barren wilderness island and he'll turn on the seer dimension and gaze upon rainbows encircling a throne with one sitting on it whose appearance is like a jasper and sardius stone. The devotional reformer of today is a person of dependence. They are God needy. The hostility of the world continually offers them the Broadway, but they have found a hidden joy on a narrow country road of dependence. The devotional reformer depends on God above all else. They are God needy. I love that. They're, oh man, they're God needy. Have you ever met a needy person? Like, if you've ever worked with kids, you know, you, know what to, you know the signs, right? They cling to you. They won't let go. I mean, there's, there's an issue there. And they, I mean, they just need whatever you have to offer. If you could hug them, if you could give them one kind word, if you could tell them that you, they, you love them, I mean, they are needy. All kids are like this with their parents, Right, I mean, all kids cling to their parents, but I'm talking like this is an extra neediness that I, above and beyond. I need to be God needy. You've got to come to a place where if His presence is there, you cling on to it like nothing else. If He teaches you one thing, if He says one thing, I mean, I've seen this with Adam and his kids, that if He says a word... There are times when the kids will go around and just repeat that word over and over and over and over again. Daddy said, and if, somebody, if Daddy said the wrong thing, and I'm not saying this ever happens, and it probably does, but if Daddy says the wrong thing and, ba and, and Judah goes and repeats that, well, where did you hear that? Daddy said it. Because he's needy. Every word that his dad says he clings to. If Dad said it, I'm doing it. 
If dad puts his hair a certain way, I'm putting my hair a certain way. If dad dresses a certain way, I'm dressing a certain way. If dad will go somewhere, I'm going with him. I don't care where it is, I'm going with him because I'm dependent on him for everything. If you want to see devotional reform and reform in general, revival in general, get God needy. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God begins to proceed out of your mouth. Where'd you hear that? My dad said it. <laughs> Where'd you, you, how do you get such deep revelation? Because God speaks to me every day. And I listen and I, re I repeat what he says to as many people as will hear it. Why do you act a certain way? Because he acts that way. Why do you live this way? Why don't you do the things that other people do? Because I everything, Jesus said it like this, everything I do, I see my dad do before I do it. How can you do this on earth, Jesus? Because I've already seen him do it. And that because I've already seen him do it, that gives me the ability to know I can do it. And then Jesus said, because I saw him do it, I can do it. And then you are going to do the same things and even greater things when I go to my Father in heaven. So we got to be people who become so God-dependent that we can't do anything apart from Him. God, when I wake up in the morning, what do you want me to do today, God? Speak your words through me, Father. Help me help somebody else. God, give me scriptures that as I begin to pray in my own my prayer closet, God, as I begin to pray, let me just begin to speak your word back to you. Speak your word out of me. Let your word flow through me at all times. Let nothing that I ever say or do be contrary to what you would have for me to do. That everybody that looks upon me could clearly say they see their Father in me. Hallelujah. Here we go. Last night, I'm literally got three lines, three lines of notes in there. So last night, <laughs> we're in worship, and we're singing that song by Dustin Smith, Eyes Like Fire. And there's a line in that song that says, as I reflect who you are, let them see your face. As I reflect who you are, let them see your face. And as I'm singing that line, the Lord gives me a picture of the Lion King. Now, who's seen the Lion King? The movie, the Lion King. Disney movie, the Lion King. Okay, so y'all know the movie, right? You know what I'm talking about. See, there's a point in this movie. This is what I see. I mean, I'm, I'm singing this Dustin Smith song with my hands up in the air, and God says, Lion King. And then I begin to, then I go off, and I don't know where I'm at. But I see this point in the movie where Simba has grown up some, and he's in this conflict of identity of who he is. Because he was born the king's son. And his birthright gives him the authority to be in charge of everything. But he allowed himself along the way to become deceived by his uncle. 
And because of a tragedy and a deception, he allowed himself to throw off the identity he was supposed to have to become an outcast. Y'all know, come on. I mean, this is deep, all right? This is deep Disney right here, okay? So he's out there in the wilderness, and he meets some friends, and they tell him, hey, whatever, whatever will be, kesara, sara, hakuna matata, whatever happens, happens, right? We're just here chilling. We're just living life. We're going to eat bugs. Listen, this is a lion who is the king, and he's out there eating bugs out of logs. Know the, you know the movie. Who should be eating whatever he wants to eat. I want, an, I want a zebra today. He tells his wife, don't even go himself. He tells his lions, go kill a zebra. I'm hungry. That's what a lion does. That's what king of the pride does. But he's been deceived to the point he doesn't even recognize himself. So here's what happens. Listen, whoo, I feel the Holy Ghost. Can't believe this. Disney, feel the Holy Ghost on Disney, but here it is. So he meets this, this monkey, Rafiki, who brings him a revelation that, hey, hold on, hold on. No matter what you've done, and no matter what you think you are, you are still your father's son. And so he brings him to this point. Now, this is the thing that I saw initially, okay? As he comes up to this thing of water, he puts his face over the water. And at the beginning, he sees himself as a reflection. But as he continues to gaze on the reflection, his face transforms into the face of his father. As he reflects who dad is, others begin to see his face. So much so, when he went back to his land and saw his mom for the first time, the first words out of her mouth were, Mufasa? Because she wasn't seeing who he was. She was seeing who his dad was. As he reflected the king, he was seen as the king. Devotional reformers understand who they are. And they understand their responsibility is to reflect the image of Almighty God. Father, as we come before you today, God, I just thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed the message and would love to hear from you. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with all the latest news and events. Until next time, God bless.